1: and Welcome to the McClifford podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now, last Saturday in the paper, I wrote a column which was headlined, McSweeney's Legacy is Being Stolen by Sinn Fein. The piece referenced a Sinn Fein hunger strike commemoration event to be held in Cork. As part of the publicity around it, the event has highlighted Terence McSweeney, who was Lord Mayor of Cork when he died on hunger strike in 1920. I took issue with this on the basis that McSweeney died as part of a national movement for independence at a time of empire in the world and there is no evidence, I contended, that he would have had anything to do with Sinn Féin's paramilitary wing as it was, the provisional IRA, in the 1970s and 80s when, when the, all of the troubles were going on. Some, including my guest today, took issue with my taking issue and they quite obviously believe there are strong links between the War of Independence and the violence engaged in by the Provisional IRA for 25 years at the end of the 20th century. This is an issue that has arisen now and again and uh, it's done so a few times over the course of the recent decade of centenary commemorations. One of those who disagrees and maybe strongly with what I wrote was Danny Morrison, who's the former Director of Publicity for Sinn Féin and a writer of some repute. Danny has written a book, I think it was published last year, about what he considers, I think it's fair to say, the myths around the old IRA of the 1920s and the idea that what they were engaged in was completely removed from what the provisional IRA was involved in over 50 years later. Free Statism and the Good Old IRA is the title of that book. And Danny Morrison joins me now. Danny, you're very welcome. Thank you, Mick.
0: Thanks for the invitation. Look forward to this discussion.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Daddy, <laughs> if I could start with something that happened a few years ago, um, and as I said, in the course of the decade of commemorations, a Sinn Féin TD. And I, I, I don't want to name him because I think he was unfairly Castigated the times and around other stuff, even apart from this. But anyway, he tweeted making comparisons between Tom Barry's flying column ambush at Kilmichael in 1920 and the killing of 18 members of the Parachute Regiment in 1979 at Warren Point by the Provisional IRA on the same day that Mountbatten, his wife, and two young teenagers were blown up. There was a big outcry over this tweet. And defending him, Mary Lou MacDonald said it had been ill-judged. And what Mary Lou said at the time was, it was an attempt to draw a historical parallel between the auxiliaries and the parachute regiment, but that is neither here nor there. No, Danny, I'd suggest putting Terence McSweeney on a poster for this event is another example of attempts to align the Provisionals' campaign with that of what is referred to as the old IRA from the 20s, with a view to softening public opinion on what went on primarily in the North during the Troubles. Surely, as Mary Lou said about the other matter, it's neither here nor there. I would say McSweeney was part of a national movement for independence. The Provisionals represented a small minority attempting to impose their will on the majority of people in this island. Where is the connection?
0: Well, I think you're wrong on many counts. <laughs> uh, if you want to if you want to make the comparisons between Terence McSweeney and Bobby Sands, let's do that. I mean, uh, Terence McSweeney was taken from his hometown. Bobby Sands was driven from his home by loyalists in support of the Unionist government. Both men were in prison twice. McSweeney for fourteen months and two months before his death, and Bobby Sands spent a third of his life in prison and died at the age of twenty seven. Both were elected MPs. McSweeney relatively easy as he was unopposed in mid-Cork, and I think in the constituency at the time it was probably around 16 or 16,500 voters. But Bobby Sands, he had a tough fight to be elected, and he was voted in with over 30,000 votes, even more than Thatcher got in constituency. Both men's writings are in print decades after their deaths. And here's the important point. Both men were fighting to end British rule in Ireland. And during the town war, or the War of Independence, people in the north took part in that war. British soldiers were killed on the Falls Road. Two RIC men were killed not far from where I live. Uh, British soldiers were killed and ambushed in South Armagh and Cross MacLean. And I think what, the important thing is that we should not, it, we should not rewrite history. Because what happened, at, for example, at Narrow Water, there is a comparison between Norrow Water and, and Kilmichael, in my opinion. And it's that the the same soldiers were representing the same government in putting down the nationalist community, which had been basically swept aside by partition. I mean, I I remember, I think it was the the editor of the Irish press, Frank Frank O'Connor, he wrote a book called The Indivisible Island, and he put it very succinctly. He says six counties were sacrificed so that 26 counties could have their freedom. And it has become worse since that because there is a glorification of the IRA of that period, which does not stand up to scrutiny. Because where where was the mandate for the 1916 rising? In the election before that, the Irish Parliamentary Party swept the boards.
1: Yeah, there was no mandate in 1916. There's no question about that. And that was the so-called blood sacrifice that went on for six days. However, the Tan War, the War of Independence, you had a general election in 1918. Now, I know, Danny, that that was not explicitly uh, a plebiscite on whether to go to war with the British. However what it was doing was setting up a parliament in Ireland and there was no question that the British would resist that by force. So even though it wasn't explicitly stated by inference, that was a mandate. Apart from that, you would local elections in 1920 just after it started and there was a, 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 a large majority that voted in favour of Sinn Féin as it was and the Labour Party. In 1922 you had a general election where 78% of the people were in favour of the treaty and basically saying, stop the violence now. Right along that way, you had the the moral authority of a large majority of the people going along with the decision over a very short period to invoke violence in order to assert their independence.
0: Well, you're actually historically incorrect on a number of counts. Right, tell me where now. Okay. First of all, when the prisoners got released in 1917... The Irish Republican Brotherhood, and later what was become known as the IRA, were organising for an armed struggle. Michael Collins was up to his neck in it. Yep. They were raiding quarries in Scotland. They were stealing jellyknife. They were stealing uh, detonators. They were raiding for arms in England. They were sending arms in from America. An, R- an RIC man was actually shot in County Clare uh, in 1917. And what my point is this. The IRA was preparing for an armed struggle, regardless of the outcome of the 1918 election. So that was uh, icing on the cake, if you like. But there was going to be an armed struggle, and the mandate for it was going to come from the fact that people felt oppressed, that they had no alternative. And that applied equally in the North. Because as far as the Irish establishment is concerned, the British government and a large section of the mainstream media, the violence in the North only starts when the IRA fires its first shot. They exclude everything that happened before that. The pogroms of 69, they exclude the curfew of 1970. So, yes, the IRA is involved in an armed struggle uh, in the 1970s. Yes, unconscionable, awful things happened, as do in war. But there was an inevitability about it. And the support for that armed struggle came in poor working class areas and poor rural areas. That's where the majority of the IRA activity occurred. Okay.
1: Okay, but 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 I I don't agree with you. I don't agree with you. But I need to
0: answer your question about the 1922 election. Okay, go on. The 1922 election was fought on lies. It was fought on the basis that the treaty was a stepping stone to a republic. Now, if it was a stepping stone, I would like you or someone else to explain to me and the nationalist community in the north, where was the next stone? There was no next stone. And in fact, the treaty, that 1922 election was sold on lies that there would be a, a boundary commission which would uh, reduce the size of the North, it would become so uneconomically uh, viable that it would ultimately lead to reunification. So a, a series of lies were told about that election.
1: They weren't lies, Danny, to be fair. The Boundary Commission, the issues, the problems that arose like that, that was an aspiration and once the Civil War started, that went to pot a lot of it. There's no question about that. There's also no question that you were right to the extent there would be a feeling in the North that they were abandoned and totally, understandably so. The problem is what the alternative would have been at the time and I have never seen anywhere where a viable alternative was put forward to what had emerged from there. Move it forward though, again back to the North and the Troubles of 69, I don't agree with you that people suggested that the violence in the media or what you call the establishment started when the IRA started fighting. I don't agree that was the case. I've seen it time and again. And there was a lot of sympathy at all levels in the South in the late 60s and early 70s for the nationalist community on the basis of the violence that was being perpetrated by loyalists and unionists as a result of the civil rights marches. But within a few years, once the IRA began their campaign to have a united Ireland and settled into what they called the long war, an awful lot of that support went because people did not want to stomach the atrocities. By 1992, this is towards the end of it even, in the Republic of Ireland, Sinn Féin's vote in that general election was 1.6%. That's 10 years into Sinn Féin and yourself being to the fore of it, in fairness to you, is fashioning a very serious electoral machine. In the north in that year, the only seat that Sinn Fein had Jerry Adams seat in West Belfast was lost to the SDLP which held all four seats from the nationalist point of view so the provisionals didn't have any moral authority for what they termed the long war
0: let way. me the, the moral authority came from the same moral authority that exists in any country where a people is oppressed and has no other form of expression to 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 relieve that situation inevitably repression leads to resistance but Let's go back to 1922 and 1972 when you say things began to change. Early in 1922, a Catholic priest in North Belfast compiled a series of the statistics of partition and the people that were being killed, in Belfast in particular. 500 people were killed, vast majority of them Catholics, even though we made up only a quarter of the population. He brought this pamphlet to the Free State Government and they expressed an interest in publishing it. And then at a Cabinet meeting... Ernest Blaise turned around and said, hold on a minute, if we publish this, there's going to be sympathy in the South for the North. And in all likelihood, in a few months' time, we could be fighting with the IRA, we could be involved in a Civil War. If we publish this, we're going to be making things difficult for ourselves. Similarly, in 1972, when the Dublin government was going to get more drawn into it, they introduced Section 31 of the Broadcasting Act, so that, for example, the UDA, which was a legal organisation until 1992 and who tried to kill Gerry Adams, their spokesperson could be interviewed in RTE but Jerry Adams couldn't. When Owen Caron was elected in the second by-election uh, in Fermanagh South Throne after uh, Bobby Sands' death, RTE interviewed the loser Ken McGuinness, a major in the UDR but didn't interview Owen Caron and this sent out a message that these people were sinister, these were the evil ones and the poor unions were misunderstood. And that's the reason why and, and why Republicanism was put down in the 26 counties in case it tapped in to a seam of sympathy which would compel successive Dublin governments to do something about the situation. Now, you asked me what, could, what they could have done. What they could have done was they could have integrated the national question into the national discourse. Instead, Dublin relegated the North to the Department of Foreign Affairs They could have used international forums to highlight British oppression. For example, the gassing of the people in the Lower Falls or the killing of children by plastic bullets. They even bowed down when Britain refused to uh, cooperate with the inquiry into the Dublin Monaghan bombings. So I think that successive governments could also have provided a platform for voices from the North and the nationalist community. So we didn't think we had a voice.
1: That's fair enough and I'm not defending the government whatsoever but some of the issues you raised, for instance, the hooded men, the government went to the EU or, or the UN over that and there were a few other issues. Absolutely, I take your point they could have done more. I also take your point Section 31 personally, I would have been against that. I think it was counterproductive. It's neither here nor there. That did not exclude Uh, those people like Sinn Féin or anybody speaking on that behalf from the likes of the print media doesn't have the same impact at all. I understand that. (laughs) Certainly not today, but there's a lot more in those days. But... The other thing there is uh, you're suggesting Danny that the people don't have agency that they're led by what the government do and the reality for an awful lot of people at that time was they were waking up in the mornings and turning on their radios or whatever and hearing about the latest atrocity and let's face it the provisional killed more people than anybody and more civilians during that period and that as much as anything and I would personally contend far more to do with anything to do with section 31 turned an awful lot of people off what was going on. One other element to it. The concept of a just war. All war is horrible and whoever was romanticising the Tan War, I certainly wasn't and some people may have been. I don't think there's any romanticising any war. However, there is a concept of a just war and one element to that is that you have an objective, an outcome that will ensure there's a greater good for everybody. That objective was there during the Tan War. As far as the, the troubles were concerned, the objective of the provisionals to violently impose a united Ireland, that was never going to happen. It was completely unrealistic and 25 years on, it hasn't even happened yet.
0: Well, well, first of all, the place, I'm, I'm being interviewed here from West Belfast and this place where I am now is not the place oh, I yeah. grew up in. Whenever I was young, the Orange Order marched on the Falls Road and we weren't even allowed to take a St Patrick's Day parade into the city centre. Uh, we had the British Army at the bottom of my street in Anastas Town Barracks here. So the situation has radically changed, but a lot of people don't like it, particularly the mainstream parties in the South. And you have Nick Fianna Fáil, the so-called Republican Party, Micheál Martin. I mean, one of the one of the reasons why there was a resolution of the conflict, that there was now a political path to a peaceful, united Ireland. And one of the conditions was that there would be, uh, if if situation changed, if there was a likelihood of a change in public opinion, that there would be a poll, a border poll. Michael Martin turned and says, not on my watch, there won't be a border poll. So there you can see, and I think that reveals that uh, a big problem here is that in the South, as a result of partition, the 26 counties was encouraged to come in to its own. People were encouraged to think of it, that the 26 counties was suddenly Ireland. And... It was ignoring the conflict, and at the heart of the conflict was that Britain has no right to be here. It had no right to be here yesterday. It has no right to be here tomorrow. And we need to get them out, and we need to decide our own future. And we can do it with the Unionists. We can settle down. There's lots of dialogue going on uh, between various, at, at local level, at community level, even amongst former combatants, British soldiers, RUC men, IRA volunteers, are all determined that it would never go back to that again. It'll never happen again.
1: And you're suggesting that the main parties in the south, presumably Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, you said they don't like the fact that the north is now a different place than it was 50 years ago and that they're preventing any
0: move towards a border, poll. I don't think they want United Ireland at heart. Yes, exactly. But that... Uh, that's a big leap, Danny. That's basically
1: suggesting my understanding of what Mial Martin said was there wouldn't be a border, poll until such time as there was a realistic prospect that it might pass. And that, that's a provision of the Good Friday Agreement but I don't, I don't, anyway.
0: But Mick, how can you prepare? You need to prepare for it. The government has the resources to bring in international economists, political theorists, to look at all of the options. Because, I mean, I don't want it sprung on someone tomorrow morning. I want to see what the case laid out to be. And United, United Ireland has to make social, economic and political sense. And we have to be able to make that case and to be able to persuade people who are opposed to it. Traditionally, of course, the unionists, we need to make a strong case for a United Ireland or whatever way it's reconfigured, that it makes social, economic and political sense. And it's, it's a better situation than what we currently have
1: yeah but I think people so a lot of people would suggest the fact that we're not there has not an awful lot to do with the Irish government and a hell of a lot more to do with differences that are there among the 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 two traditions that have to
0: share the the northeast well, well, part of well, the the problem, yeah that's f- easily said but in practice in practice i mean you look at the the, the free state mentality uh, that's still current there we know uh Owen, Owen Harris described Mary McAleese as a tribal time bomb when she went to stand for the election. Martin McGuinness was told on RTE, an election programme, when he stood for president, go back to your own country. Uh, the Irish Times last year had a poetry competition for what it means to be Irish today. But you weren't allowed to enter into it if you were from the north. RTE regularly puts up maps of Ireland in which the the towns and villages of the six counties have been submerged in the North Atlantic. There's this constant, constant uh, attempt to to, 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 to state that the 26 counties has become Ireland and that we are somehow different and we don't belong and we're demonised.
1: Well, no, there are individuals of particular things, Danny. The notion that you're demonised in general down here, people from the North
0: well, let me ask you one thing though. Let me ask let, you just, one just thing. Let me, you, let me, just let me give you an example. Go on. Sinn Fein brought down the power sharing executive, I think it was in 2017, over an RHI scandal. Now there was going to be a resolution of it, but then the DUP took cold feet over the introduction of an Irish language act. Micheál Martin got up in Linster House and said to Sinn Fein, get back into power sharing with the DUP. And the next week he was saying Sinn Féin uh, cannot be in government in the South because they're, 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 they're he, he, what, what was wrong with Sinn Féin? That's he says they should not be in government in the South but they better get back into government in the North. How do you explain that mentality? Well, it's part of
1: political um, oppositions, quite obviously. To say that the situations are similar, Danny, irrespective of what you're saying, I don't think so. But can I take you up on one thing? You talk this notion that the 26 counties now describes itself as Ireland. What would you describe the twenty-six counties as? Because its official name is the Republic of Ireland, and an awful lot of people who describe themselves as republicans refuse to call it that. Mm.
0: To me, it's the Republic of Ireland.
1: Oh, that's grand. No, okay. So one yeah, other it's element the Republic to that. Of Ireland. No, I that's mean, a, that's I fair mean, enough. Uh, a lot of people in Sinn Fein. will One called that's not, that's fair. One other element to that, though, in in the similar theme, the Provisional like IRA described it as "of Ogluk na Heren, the Irish Army. I mean. If you have a problem with people in the South, now I haven't heard of much and I can understand if you do hear it that it's off people just calling it Ireland. An awful lot of people had problems with the idea of the Provisional IRA describing itself as effectively the Irish Army.
0: Well, it means Volunteers of Ireland and it was historically inherited down the years from 1920 when Fianna Fáil refused to, when you know, not Fianna Fáil because they weren't formed till 1926, but the Valérez, Sinn Féin, refused to recognise the 26 counties. It has gone through many permutations, the Free State era, the Republic of Ireland. No, I, I call it the Republic of Ireland. I, all the Republicans, if they don't like that term, that's fine. But I call it the Republic of Ireland. Fair enough. To know what's really happening, subscribe to the Irish Examiner today at irishexaminer.com forward slash subscribe.
1: Back again to where we started in terms of, of um, that differences people would have in relation to the, 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 the Tan War and the troubles, as it's, you've mystically called. Just in terms of the violence, Danny, and I know you wrote in the book a lot about the atrocities that were carried out during the Tan War. And, you know, I, I've no issue whatsoever with it. And you're absolutely right. Some of them were appalling. Uh, and, there, and there are things that happened. There was one actually um, in West Cork between the truce and the treaty negotiations, there was oh, it was up to 14 Protestants, I think, were murdered. I think you actually appeared in the, in the Jerry O'Callaghan's documentary about... There was appalling things done. However, in terms of the overall character of the type of violence that went on, in the Tan War, the British army were responsible for most civilian deaths. In the North, it was the provisionals that were responsible for most civilian deaths. In the Tanwar, the British well, you, committed you, you, atrocities you, you, in, in towns and city centres like burning a Cork, burning a brigand. In the north, it was the Provisionals who did that with bombs around towns and city centres. Well, I
0: mean, tell me this, Mick, when when's the last time you were in Ballamurphy? The last
1: time I was in Ballymurphy? Oh, ages ago.
0: Yeah, British Army murdered people there, killed the parish priest. I know that. They did it in Spring Hill as well. They did it in Derry. They did it in the New Lodge Road. When well, you're talking about the statistics, the statistics would, would look a lot different if we were able to get at the truth. So, for example, uh, various reports, not Republican reports, or Sinn Féin reports, have said that 85% of intelligence used by the UDA to target people originated from the IUC and the British Army. We had Lord Stevens from the London Metropolitan Police come over here to do uh, an inquiry into collusion. Out of 210 loyalists that he questioned, 207 of them were registered agents or informants of the British state. So, I would say that a lot of the loyalist killings are actually British government killings uh, because they were in support of the union. And when you go back and look at the statistics, it looks a lot differently. But anyway, it can't, I mean, you can't uh, judge the morality of a struggle based on statistics because, I mean, you'd say the the RAF went and killed... No, but there
1: are trends in terms of who's perpetrating the violence and the kind of violence that's being perpetrated.
0: But what was the cause of the violence? Did we all become psychopaths in 1969? Was there no. a reason
1: for it? <laughs> no, Danny. There was a reason. There was, there was the civil rights marches, and none of those who were at this at the. Apex of the civil rights organisations got involved with the Provisional. There was the civil rights that's, marches. That's there totally was violence.
0: Un- that's totally the, untrue. The, Martin Meakin was arrested on the fifth of October, nineteen sixty-eight. Uh, he later became an IRA leader. He later escaped from Crumlin Road jail. Kevin knew where the civil rights movement had their first meeting. Was my solicitor and was my ele- was involved in my election in 1984 and 1989. So this is an attempt to rewrite history. No, no, no. Hold hold, hold on, Danny.
1: Danny, the, the overall picture is very plain. The civil rights movement was on behalf of the nationalist people who were discriminated against in a sectarian state. The Provisional IRA never, at any point throughout its twenty-five years of killing, represented a majority of the nationalist community. And sometimes it was a very small uh, minority that they represented. They did not; they were not fighting on behalf of the nationalist community. They were fighting
0: for a united Ireland over the long twenty-five years. That is the difference. That, and that struggle came out of republican areas just as the War of Independence came out of places like Rebel Court.
1: Yeah, but again, I would maintain it was absolutely very different at the
0: same time. No, you see, we're evading the crux of the problem. Our island was divided by Britain, and that was the cause of the violence. And the British army came in here, and we welcomed them, we supported them, and they turned their guns on us. They turned their guns on us. They wrecked our homes. They gassed our areas. They supported loyalists when loyalists burnt us out of their homes. They then colluded with loyalists, and they were involved, in my opinion, also in bombing the south of Ireland. And yet, the Dublin government and successive Dublin governments prefer to pick on the republican movement rather than confront Britain, which, as Wilton said, was the age-old, you know, our our age-old problem is the English connection.
1: Okay, and at the end of 25 years, after every atrocity was committed, after every volunteer that came into the IRA, they were all told this is fighting for a united Ireland. To impose a united Ireland, the Dublin government is illegal. We're going to impose a united Ireland by violence in response to the partition or whatever.
0: Not to impose, to bring about... A United Ireland to bring about a United Ireland. How do you bring it about, except you're using violence? By forcing the British government to recognise our right to be independent. That's how. Right, and and in doing
1: so, you're also suggesting that the democratically that, was, was elected that, was, government in the that, south was was illegal.
0: What? Yes, this was the original theology with traditional Republicans. But I don't, I don't believe that the, the people that I was in, in prison with, the people who I struggled with, that we believed that the Army Council of the IRA was the legitimate government of Ireland. That would be, that was total nonsense. The fact of the matter is that the people of the South vote in the governments in the South. We had a different attitude to the North, because in the North our votes counted for nothing, and the, 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 the nationalist people by and large were alienated from the state, and that didn't pertain in the 26 counties. So the IRA's armed struggle had the objective of bringing the British government around to a position of withdrawing, and recognising our right to national self-determination. Now, the, the there was
1: no requirement for 25 years of violence to do that. There, there, there was the makings of that in the early 70s. It, it Absolutely, Britain was dragging its feet. There's no question about that. But it had come to realisation it couldn't continue to have a sectarian state like that within the UK as they saw it. Sorry, are you suggesting that the British government would have withdrawn if the no, IRA had no, stopped? No, but no. The, no, no, they wouldn't have withdrawn. That's not <laughs> what, I'm what I'm I mean, suggesting. You what I'm suggesting is what you're talking that, about the civil rights. You
0: need to understand, understand the dirty civil war that the, the Brits were involved in here. Right. They also armed the loyalists as well, as well as providing them with information.
1: OK, and tell me this from that point of view, Danny. The provisionals, uh, you say, are under oppression. According to you, it was as a result of the sectarian state, notwithstanding they didn't represent the nationalist community. But the the notion of, as you say, the British were in this country, therefore that was the right to resist it by force of arms. What's the difference between that and the dissidents doing so today?
0: Well, that's like saying, you know, uh, the Americans were bombing Vietnam one day, so they should be doing it the next day. The RAF were bombing Germany during the Second World no, War. Why the are do they doing Same principle.
1: Same principle that, that was applied in terms of the provision Because per, sorry, we that.
0: now have achieved a political breakthrough, which allows us to peacefully and hopefully, with the support of Dublin governments, to bring about a peaceful resolution to our conflict. That's how. I mean, it's quite obvious the British government recognised that the IRA were political. That's why they were all released from jail in 1998, 1999. Even though the hunger strike which Bobby Sands died in, British government said, oh no, they're all criminals with no political motivation at all. And Bobby Sands, by his election, showed that the nationalist community from Manusau recognised him as a victim of the conflict here.
1: And you're claiming... That that advance for full civil rights for, for for the the possibility of a United Ireland would not have come about without twenty five years of violence. I don't think so.
0: I don't believe so. Well, well I give you an example. Still, I'll give you a quick there's still example. There's still resistance to it. You know, one of your what? When you were writing your article, and you know, just reading it here, one might well ask, what Sinn Féin, which in its current iteration was formed in nineteen seventy has got to do with McSweeney, who died 50 years earlier. Yeah. But, you know, you never asked the question, what has Fine Gael, which in its current iteration was formed in 1933 in an amalgamation with the fascist Blue Shirts, got to do with Michael Collins, who was killed uh, in 1920? Uh, sorry,
1: Danny. Danny, I didn't ask it in this one. I've asked that five, six, seven, I don't know how many times sure in other enough, articles. I wasn't aware of that. I wasn't well, aware of that. <laughs> I've done that. Don't worry about it. I ha- certainly have. But it's back to that point. For example, after the Harrods bombing, I think it was 83 Margaret Thatcher said, as long as the people of Northern Ireland want to remain in the United Kingdom, they will do so.
0: Nothing has changed from that point. The whole whole political landscape has been transformed. Why do you think that Sinn Féin is the leading party in the North? And according to successive opinion polls in the South, the leading party in the South and the all likelihood lab need the next government. And Sinn Féin stands for a United Ireland and independent Ireland we want to see an end to British rule we want to see we want to see a relationship built with the unionist community which is lasting but the basic principle remains it remains
1: despite 25 years of telling people that uh, this violence this campaign would remove the British that never happened what Thatcher said
0: in '84 still pertains no because we didn't have a Belfast agreement in 1983. I mean, Thatcher was totally opposed to... I mean, even when when Gareth Fitzgerald approached her with the modest proposals from the New Ireland Forum, she said, out, out, out. She was completely dismissive of even the Irish Premier.
1: Okay, and look back again, Bring it back to where we started. You maintain that notwithstanding the, the, the fracturing, the iterations of the IRA that have come into being over the last 100 years that the provisionals, and by extension Sinn Féin, as you're called today, originally provisional Sinn Féin, has a link to the people who were involved in the Tan War. And notably, the other point I make there, Daniel, I made this in the article, the type of people you link to are those who died within the war before the the, the guns fell silent and they were able to, to decide their own politics. And the vast majority of those went and worked within the parameters of the free state. In the fall, and and other parties. Yet, you would claim that those like McSweeney, like Liam Lynch, for instance, in the Civil War, that you have a purchase on them. To put it that
0: way, no, I can't claim what if they had lived, what their views would be. I can't, I can't claim that. I think it would be silly to claim that. But I think it is also silly uh, not to recognise the parallels that you know the parallels between Bobby Sands and Terence McSweeney. They were both elected by the people in certain circumstances, in Bobby's case and in Terence McSweeney's case, where Britain had a grip on the entire country. And Britain was forced by the IRA to release its grip on the 26 counties. And, you know, when when when, when Vietnam was partitioned in 1854, North Vietnam didn't say, well, we've got our 26 counties, you know, happy days. They, no, they didn't. They said that... Our whole country should be free. There should be no... First of all, they fought the French, then they fought the Americans. Similarly here, I do believe that successive Dublin governments have been remiss, have ignored the nationalist community in the north, despite the fact that they took the, the, the hooded men's case to the European court in Strasbourg. But by and large, they have sided with the British and the British version of events. And that is an untruth, in my opinion.
1: Okay, and one other element in terms of the north-south factor in that, would you accept that the kind of apathy that you reference, and I think you're correct in it, in large parts of the south and the the disillusionment with what what was going on in the north right throughout the 70s, 80s and into the 90s, a large part of that was because people were turned off by the atrocities being committed by the provisionals.
0: I would say that, yes, a lot of people were turned off by uh, IRA activity some innocent civilians killed in explosions, etc., and in other types of operations. I would say that. And I would say that, that that's quite normal and natural and human. But to be in the cold face and to be in the midst of all of this with the, the, the British British uh, soldiers killing people, uh, handing information to loyalists, the, the DUP being cheerleaders, in my opinion, for loyalists, and, and then a double standard being applied to uh, Sinn Féin. I think that that has perpetuated the problem uh, and I think we're now on our way to resolving it.
1: OK, and finally, one thing, Danny, and this is a thing that I'm just curious about because I, I, I go back to the Civil War in 1922 and the anti-treaty side were described as Republicans and we've had various notions of what Republicans are. You've you know followed the Republican Party, but Republican, as, as it has evolved over the last 50 or so years, it tended to be associated with the provisional IRA in the first instance. Currently, we have a situation where those who self-identify as Republicans go right across a very broad span. You have people, for instance, in the dissidents who believe in to continue killing for a united Ireland. You have people outside of Sinn Féin who, who are in favour of the peace process, but they've been disillusioned with Sinn Féin and that they'd be more left-wing than Sinn Féin a lot of them. They describe themselves as Republicans. And then you have Sinn Féin who, I think it's fair to say a lot of the time think they have a purchase on the term Republican and they're. Non the, 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 the element of their politics that does not include the issue of the island and whether it should be unified they've gone through a complete transformation over 20 years they're currently even their leading um, politicians are describing them as centre-left they describe themselves as Republicans would it not be better would it not be more accurate and to, to describe everybody simply as United Irelanders because that's all they have in common
0: Well provided that's what they want I have, I have no difficulty with that you know, I mean, a Republican is someone who doesn't believe in a monarchy and believes in the democracy of the people. And there are many people uh, subscribe to that or who claim to be that. Uh, so I have no problem with that description.
1: One final thing, Danny. In your opinion, when do you think there will be a united Ireland? And let's leave the Dublin government out of it. Just your, your opinion of, of terms of how things are going and when it'll happen.
0: Well, I think it's impossible to say. I think, I know, I think most people are agreed that that's the direction of travel. Uh, certainly the voting patterns show that. I think the, the disastrous decision of the DUP to support the hardest of Brexit and the hope that there would be a hard border back in Ireland and that would amplify their sense of Britishness and the sense of partition, that has backfired big time. And I think that there's lots of very, very good arguments to be made that a united Ireland does make social, economic and political sense and at last peace in our time.
1: Danny thanks very much for joining us today it's it's good to talk even when we disagree thanks very much
0: (laughs) okay all the best good luck
1: that's it for this week folks I'd also like to thank our engineer JJ Vernon as always thank you for listening we'll talk to you again soon hang in there